I want to finish my little journey through James. It's been a long, I just, um, it's, not been a, it's not been a little journey, it's been a long journey. And so I'm going to finish either this week or in the next couple of weeks. I might have one more thing to say out of James. But um, we are, we've been talking about prayer for the last four or five weeks. And um, this is out of James chapter 5. And I started by encouraging you about five weeks ago that when we go through hard times, it's God's invitation to us to pray. Do you remember that? Well, I hope you do. And then I had a look at how we pray for the sick in the local church. And uh, the encouragement out of James is that the elders, those that are leaders, the, the community of believers, we should call the sick forward, lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, and they will recover. Do you remember that? And then I had a look at the, the prayer of faith. What is the prayer of faith? And the prayer of faith is that extraordinary moment when we, uh, we pray for someone and there's a special gift that is given and we see miraculous signs and wonders and that's an extraordinary thing when that happens. And uh, we want to celebrate that every time that it happens. And James says the prayer of faith is what saves the sick man. And so we want to trust as we pray that there would be those extraordinary moments of the miraculous breaking into our lives. It's an eternal flash of glory. The perfection of what is still to come in its fullness comes into our present reality in the moment, and we see spectacular healing. And we are, we are trusting for spectacular healing. And there are some people in this church right now that need spectacular healing from God. And we're going to continue to pray until we see breakthrough. All right? And then I last week had a look at what it means when James says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful as it is working. And we had a look what that means. And we saw from that that the righteous are everyone who's saved. And secondly, he does connect our prayer in this sense to our a living righteousness in our lives. And he says, and I try to say to you, if you're shouting at your wife all day, don't expect that necessarily God is going to hear your prayers at the end of the day. Because James makes the connection. He says there's a living righteousness in our lives, isn't there? We are saved and we are perfect and God sees us as perfect, but there's a living righteousness and he does make that connection. He says the prayer of a righteous man. There's a living righteousness. That kind of person, that, that kind of person has powerful prayer that flows out of their lives. All right? And now, the last exhibit that James has is Elijah. His example of a praying man is Elijah. And so we're going to read, please, James chapter 5, verse 16. Keep your finger in 1 Kings 19, because that's where I'm going to land. But James 5, 16 says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought its fruit. So, again, just to use a legal example, if he was a lawyer, this would be his primary example, James's primary example, uh, to encourage us that all of us can be those that pray powerfully and effectively, all right? And that's what I tried to say to you last week. We are not disqualified. And the example that he uses is Elijah. And every, every Hebrew would have known exactly who Elijah was. And what I find interesting is that James brings Elijah in here as an example to us, not emphasizing Elijah's righteousness, but emphasizing his weakness, emphasizing his humanity, emphasizing that he was just an ordinary guy. That is the emphasis that James brings. 
He had a nature just like you and just like me. And if you read 1 Kings 18, you would be forgiven to think that Elijah was an extraordinary man. (laughs) And in some ways, he was an extraordinary man. He seemed to stand alone. When everyone else was afraid, he seemed strong. He took on the prophets of Baal. You know the story. Hundreds of them. (laughs) And he, he, he challenges them to this competition, in a sense. And he builds an altar, and he puts water on the altar, so it's absolutely drenched. And the prophets of Baal dance around the altar, calling on Baal to kind of come and consume the sacrifice. And it says they cut themselves, and they work themselves up into a frenzy, and they shout, and they scream, and nothing happens. And Elijah prays, and fire falls from heaven, and not only consumes the sacrifice, but the whole altar that he's built and licks up all the water in in the trenches around. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful moment. And that's what I've heard preached over and over again about Elijah, this amazing man who did extraordinary things. And yet, um, James presents him to us in a different way. You know, even the way that he left the world was, was amazing. He didn't die. Did you know that, Elijah? He didn't die? It says a chariot of fire comes alongside him and he just goes up to heaven. Must have been with Vangelis in the background. Da, da. And we know from the New Testament that on the Mount of Transfiguration, there were three people there and one of them was Elijah. In some ways, Elijah was an extraordinary man. But James introduces him as an ordinary person. I want to say this to you. The point is simple. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to show us that no one is born a godly man. No one is born a godly woman. God leads us into all righteousness. As we walk with Him, as we journey by the Spirit, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another, and He leads us into all righteousness, just like He did with Elijah. And we all have our ups and downs. We all have to learn to be teachable. We all have false starts. We all have rebukes from God. We all experience His discipline. And that was true for Elijah. And I want to put it to you this morning that it is true for us as well. And I hope very much the story of Elijah will encourage you that you too can be a person that flows in effective, powerful prayer. And it's not out of reach for you. And it's not out of reach for me. And it's precisely because he's so human that James introduces Elijah. And the source of what I want to say to you this morning is not 1 Kings 18 with the extraordinary thing that Elijah does. It's 1 Kings 19. I want to look with you out of 1 Kings 19 at at Elijah as a human man, as a human being. And just see what kind of person he was. And I, I trust that it will really, really encourage you. Because this is the kind of person that God sees... This is the kind of person that God uses, and the basic message that I want to say to you this morning, I want to hope gets into your heart, is that Elijah was an ordinary man, just like you and just like me. Okay? And so James introduces him and says he had a nature just like ours. The Greek is homeopathes, which means to be affected in the same way as everyone else. In other words... 
Elijah had exactly the same frailties that you have and exactly the same frailties that I have. It's the same words that Paul uses in Acts 14 where he says, we are men of like nature. In other words, we are men with the same frailties of you as you have, but we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And he shares his testimony. And Paul says the same thing. He says, I'm, a, I'm just an ordinary guy, just like you. I have fears, I have failures, I have weaknesses. And that's how James introduces us to this character, Elijah. And I think this, I'm convinced of this, one of the most common pitfalls of every Christian, and that we need to face as Christians, is that we believe that great people in the Scripture are intrinsically better than us, or by nature were different from us, and that's what made them great. You hear what I'm saying? It's a lie. The great people in Scripture, men and women of the Scripture, were ordinary men and women who learned to trust an extraordinary God. That is what made them great. And James won't let us get away with this lie, because he forces us to address this person called Elijah. It was true that over his life, Elijah's reputation did grow. And he was known as a man with extraordinary um, gifts from God because you read in 2 Kings 2.14, when Elisha is praying, he takes the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he strikes the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? (laughs) Isn't it amazing that Elijah, his name had a, Affected the reputation of God, in a sense. Where's the God of Elijah? We know about the God of Elijah. Where's that God? Wouldn't, uh, wouldn't that be an extraordinary thing to be known by? <laughs> Where's the God of Derek? Uh, to be so used by God. Where, where's the God of Quirbus? Where's the God of Helen? That others would know that we are used by God in such an extraordinary way. Where, where's that God that you know? Where is He? I want to see Him. It's an amazing thing. But like I said to you, I don't want to demonstrate Elijah's greatness this morning. I want to speak about Elijah's humanity. Because I think this, the person that would have been most surprised about what Elisha said about him was Elijah. Because I put it to you this morning that Elijah was a weak, doubting, self-pitying, sulking, pouting, self-righteous man capable of deep bitterness. That is the man we are introduced to after, after he has done this extraordinary thing and taken on the prophets of Baal. We meet in chapter 19 a sulking, doubting, pouting man who hides in a cave full of bitterness. Why am I saying in that order? Because it's vitally important. Because you might say to me, and isn't that the kind of person God uses a, a, God takes and changes and then uses them. It's not the story of Elijah. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite. He does extraordinary things. Certainly he has training in his life and lots of things have led up to this. And he has this extraordinary battle. And yet after the battle, he's still full of doubt. He's self-pitying. He's, he's, still, he's still bitter. He's self-righteous. My encouragement to you is that God wants to use you and me as we are. It's not waiting for you to get perfect. There's a perfection that God sees that is upon your life because He sees Christ. 
and there's a living righteousness that comes as we journey with the Holy Spirit, but our imperfection does not disqualify us from being used powerfully by God. And so I want to encourage you, I'm trying to encourage you, whatever you feel about yourself, don't let it discourage you, don't let it disqualify you from what God wants to do through you into the lives of other people. And here are some things that I'd like to look at some of the frailties that Elijah had in his life. And maybe you can identify with some of these. The first is that he suffered depression. What? Yes, this great man, this great man of God who did extraordinary miracles, he suffered depression. The first thing we read about him after his great victory over the prophet's Baal, this is what we read in verse 4 of chapter 19. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. <laughs> saying, it's enough now, O Lord. Take my life from me. I'm no better than my father's. He's depressed. Absolutely extraordinary depressed. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you feel like you want to die? Honestly. I have had moments like that. God, I've laid on my bed sometimes and said, God, I, just take me to heaven right now. The only reason I'm here is because of my wife and kids, but I'm, I could quite happily go to heaven right now. I've been so depressed. So down. Uh, we don't like to talk about that as Christians, isn't it? Because I know you have to be, to be spiritual. You must be strong. You must be an overcomer. You must have victory. How many of you have not felt depressed in your life ever? Just raise your hands. It's my point, isn't it? We all feel depression. We all have our ups and our downs. How many of you felt like you're a complete failure? That you haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve in your life? Anyone like to raise their hands with me? <laughs> Well, welcome to the club. How, have you felt, how many of you felt that sometimes you feel like you're utterly useless? Yeah, we, let's see. Well, welcome to the great biblical club. Here are other great people in the Bible. Elijah, Moses, Jeremiah, Job. Every one of those men asked to die. Don't you find that extraordinary? They were so depressed. They said, God, just take me now. I'm useless. Look what Jeremiah says. This is strong language, man. Jeremiah 20, 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born. Jeremiah. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought, me the, brought the good news to my father. A son is born to you and made him glad. <laughs> How about that? Jeremiah talking about the day he was born. Cursed was the day that I was born. The point is our emotional ups and downs the point is, regardless of what we feel about ourselves, those things don't disqualify us from being used by God. That's my encouragement to you. Elijah was a depressive. Secondly, he questioned the justice of God. <laughs> the very next thing he does, when you read that portion, in all that was happening in his life, he, um, he questions God's justice. He simply says, it's enough now, God. How many of you have said in your life sometimes, God, this is enough? Enough now. Anyone? Or is it just me again? God, enough now. I can't take this anymore. I just, I just, I can't live like this anymore. Enough, God. Enough, enough. Well, Elijah said the same thing. He was saying that he had all that he could be. In a sense, he was saying, it's not fair that this is happening to me. How many times have we said that in our own lives? God, this is just not fair. Why me? Why not? 
This is the kind of man that Elijah was. Thirdly, he was self-righteous. You see, what he said in that first couple of verses really revealed a self-righteous nature in him that was a mile wide. And it's amazing that God uses self-righteous people, isn't it? Why do I say that? Because we are all self-righteous. Elijah was competitive. How many of us are not competitive? We compare ourselves to other people. We compare our lives to other people's lives. We compare our ministry to someone else's ministry. And what does he say? He compares himself to his father's and he says, I'm not better than my father's. He, he, he is deeply competitive. He wants to be better than Moses. He wants to be better than Abraham, his father's. He wants everyone to say, Elijah, you're the man. I mean, you're the guy. Forget about Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob. No, you are. He, he wanted to be the Muhammad Ali of the Old Testament. I'm the greatest. That's what he wanted. That's the kind of person Elijah was. How many of amongst us can honestly say we've never compared ourselves to anyone else? Ladies, you never compared yourself to another woman? Anyone here? Gentlemen, never compared yourself to any other man? You see, Elijah is shown to be a man of great ambition. Great ambition. This is the great irony. I was thinking about this this week. I love Winston Churchill. He's one of my heroes. I think he's one of the greatest Englishmen that ever lived. He was deeply ambitious. Deeply. And the irony is that most significant people in history are greatly ambitious people. And if you look honestly at the Scripture, most people in the Scripture that achieved anything from God were ambitious. And we like to overlook that. We like to say, well, that's not spiritual. And it's not spiritual. I'm not encouraging you to be ambitious, all right? But the Bible doesn't whitewash over things. It doesn't kind of pretend things aren't there that really are. It shows people as they really are. And here we read about Elijah as an ambitious, vain, self-righteous man. And it's negative. It is negative that we have um, an inferiority complex about ourselves and doubt that God will use us. But Elijah was doing something worse than that because he was saying, I'm not better than my fathers. In other words, he was wanting to be the greatest. And that's what really slips out of his mouth. He also was a perfectionist. How many of you are perfectionists? I am a bit of a perfectionist. And what, um, what he thought is that if God used him, it would show everyone else that he was better than them. <laughs> That's why he wanted to be used by God. He, he wanted to prove to others that he was really the guy with power. And so... Um, he didn't want any competition. If you read the story of Elijah... You'll see also he wasn't so happy that he needed a successor. He wasn't too happy about Elisha taking over his ministry. Go and read it for yourself. <laughs> this is the kind of God that God uses. Doesn't he encourage you? Because it encourages me. If God can use a guy like that, he can use me as well. Because I'm suffering from all of those things. And if you're honest, so do you. My point is this. There are no other kind of people that God uses other than extraordinary self-righteous vain, ambitious people that are transformed by the power of the cross and those things begin to die in us and we start to live for some, something else. We start to live for the kingdom. You can say amen because it's good news. And so, 
You know, this picture I've tried to paint, it doesn't really sound like the Elijah that we know about from 1 Kings 18, does it? But it's the, the Elijah that James introduces to us to make us aware of this very fact that there's hope for you and there's hope for me to be used by God as we humble ourselves under his hand. See, in 1 Kings 19, he's trying to avoid all responsibility. He lays down and sleeps under the broom tree, it says. Doesn't that sound familiar? How many of us, when we're trying to avoid responsibility, just don't feel like we need to go and sleep? Anyone been there? I just want to sleep. I just want to sleep. And often when we sleep, it's because we, we don't want to face the world as it really is. It's too painful. And so the best thing that we can do is uh, go and sleep. Some people escape reading books. By reading books, have you seen people escaping on the tube every time you go into London? Won't look at anyone, just escaping into a book. What about movies? I went to see Man of Steel last night with my family. It was an interesting movie. Uh, for the first time in my life, I thought I'm getting old. It was so loud, I had to, I had to like... <laughs> even my son, Jesse, had to leave because it was too loud. And it was loud, and it was just... They blew up everything. Everything they could. They just blew it up. And when they'd blown up everything, they blew up some more things. They introduced something else to blow up. It was one of those kind of movies. But anyway, some people escape by watching movies. Some people escape by living through their, uh, their lives of other people. Hello Magazine and all these kind of magazines. You want to read about other people's lives. Why? Because your own life is really quite painful and mediocre and you want to live through someone else. Isn't that what football fans are? Living your life through someone else. The glory of Manchester United. The glory, glory. You'll never walk alone. All that stuff. We live our lives through other people. Because our own reality is a bit painful, a bit mediocre. And the largest way of escape was sleeping. Just to get out of the situation. Well, perhaps some of these things highlight some weaknesses that you might see in yourself. They certainly, as I prepared, highlighted some weaknesses that I saw in my own life. I want to encourage you to do this. Don't think less of Elijah. Rather be encouraged that God used him. We are talking here about a man who had already been used by God in an extraordinary way. And so I want to put it to you this morning that we need to destroy the myth that God can only use people that have arrived, that are perfect. Really spiritual people. God only uses those kind of people. Have you ever thought this? Does God only use those that seem to be in a constant state of encouragement and elation, like on a spiritual high all the time? Have you met people like that? I've met some people, weird people like that in the church. Every time you, you say, how are you doing, mate? I am extremely blessed, thank you. And sometimes it's true. But a lot of the time, it's not. It's just like a, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm God's, it's, it's weird. It's just weird. And we put up with it in the church. Because we want to be kind. Isn't it true? We want to be kind. It's not real. There are times when we are extremely blessed. It's more honest to say when you're going through a tough time. Mate, please pray for me. I'm really going through a hard time. Do you think that God only uses those that are almost sinlessly perfect and don't really have any evil thoughts in their minds or give in to any temptation? Do you, do you think God only uses those kind of people? <laughs> do you think that your weaknesses eliminate you from even being considered that God wants to use you? Well, 
My encouragement to you this morning is this. When God chose Elijah, he chose the best that there was. And that's the only reason that God will use you and he will use me. You are the best that God has. I am the best that God has. There's no plan B. (laughs) There's no one else. You are the best. I am the best. And we are all the same. And so my main point that I want to highlight this morning is simply this. Godly people are ordinary people. Godly people are ordinary people. A godly person is an ordinary person who's received an extraordinary amount of help from God. So that's, that's what a godly person is. And I love when I read the story of Elijah that God sympathizes with him as an ordinary man. He lets him recover physically. Do you notice that? If you read on in chapter 19. He didn't complain at Elijah. He let Elijah know that he could use weak things like the still small voice. He let Elijah know that he could use powerful things like the earthquake, the fire, the whirlwind. And very, very gently, God works in Elijah's life and he overcomes his self-righteousness. Gently. And so James is showing us that righteous people are really ordinary people and there's no other kind of person. You know, if Elijah's sulking under the broom tree that came before his battle on Mount Carmel with the, with the prophets of Baal, I wouldn't have found it all that encouraging. Because then what we really would say is that God would have to transform us out of that kind of state to use us. What we really find is an imperfect man after the battle who's depressed out of his mind and he's sleeping and sulking under a tree. Imagine if that had come before the battle. Imagine what he would have thought of himself as he saw his, his prayer answered. He would have thought, I am better than Noah. I am, greater than Eli- I am greater than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am, I am better than my fathers. That's what he would have thought. And yet we find him ex- saying exactly the opposite. <laughs> his balloon had popped. And so I put it to you that God's preparation for you and me is his grace towards us. And our faith is believing in His power and not in our ability at all. That's what we base our faith on. So the easiest thing to do is to think that we are useful to God because we are able. (laughs) But in Elijah, he learned the lesson that that just was not true. You know, you might, have, you might be excused also of thinking that God would frown upon a kind of, this kind of sulking, juvenile, pouting behavior. But God doesn't get threatened by Elijah's outburst, does he? He just relaxes, still loves him. How, how, how amazing is God that he treats us all like that? You know what the psalmist says, Psalm 103.14, he knows our frame and he remembers that we are all dust. And so my final point is this, that while we are still sleeping, God is working. I love that about the story. While we are still sleeping, God is working. So Elijah is in this deep sulk, he's depressed, he's sleeping. And while he is sleeping, God is still working. Isn't that amazing? God is working while he's sleeping. And so if you read the story, an angel comes to him and says, arise and eat. And so he does. Isn't that amazing when we're sulking sometimes, when we're sleeping, and God does something amazing and miraculous, and all we do is wake up and enjoy it. Have you ever had moments like that in your life? 
He saves us from some awful situation. He supplies our needs before our very eyes. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't make an impression on us at all. Just like Elijah. God provides this food for him. He's asleep. He wakes up, he eats it, and he goes back to sleep. There's not a hint of gratitude from Elijah at all. Does it put God off? Does God give up? Does God say, oh, you weren't grateful for what I just did. I just fed you. You weren't even grateful, you miserable depressive. You weren't grateful. I'm going to bludgeon you some more. Does God do that? No, he doesn't. He goes right back to sleep. And the angel comes a second time. Isn't God amazing? He comes to us a second time. For some of you, God is coming to you this morning a second time. And again, and again. And he's going to provide for you. And he's going to, he's going to encourage you. And he's going to take some burdens off you. That's the kind of God that we serve. He comes to us a second time. He comes to us again and again. Even when we're sleeping, even when we're sulking, even when we can't see what he's doing, he comes to us again and he provides for us. Will you recognize this morning what he's doing? And that same grace that he extends to us, he wants us to, to give that away. He wants us to give others a second chance. I said last week, I want to say again, the best way to extend forgiveness to someone else is to let them know that you've forgotten about it. See, God, God didn't forgive us, and then he didn't come back and say, I just want to remind you that I forgave you. Talks, do you remember that I forgave you? Remember? God doesn't come back and remind us that he's forgiven us. Why do we do that to other people? I just want to remind you that I've forgiven you. <laughs> the best way to show forgiveness is when the person walks in the room, it's like you act like nothing happened. Is that easy? Is it possible in your own strength? No, it's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you and I need to walk by the power of the Spirit. And so, God shows, continues to show his grace to Elijah. He continues to deal gently with him. He continues to supply his needs. The angel even comes to him a second time and says, eat a second time, prepare yourself for the journey. It's too great for you, but God is with you. <laughs> so gentle, isn't he? And so it says um, in the, the Revised Standard Version translation, in verse eight, it says, "The strength from Elijah that the strength that Elijah ate lasted as long as he needed it." I don't know what the new, the, the, the new translations say, but I just love that. The strength that Elijah ate lasted as long as he needed it. Isn't that amazing? God provides exactly what we need for the journey that lies ahead. Lastly. Our natures might be against us, but God is for us. Yeah? Our natures might be against us, but God is for us. You see, that's, uh, that's not the end of the story about Elijah either, because you see, if you read further, you see he still he ends up in a cave. He was sulking under the broom tree. God revived him. <laughs> God helped him. He gets some strength, but he still ends up in a cave. There's still some things he has to deal with. And it's the most unlikely place to see God work. But he still had much bitterness inside of him that raged. It raged, it raged, it raged. And he wanted to let God know about it. So he ends up in this cave. He was still arrogant and still full of self-pity. He was taking himself so seriously. How many, how many times do we take ourselves so seriously in our lives? Yeah? If only you knew what I've been through. You, you, you treat me differently. <laughs> we take ourselves so seriously. Lighten up. You see? 
That's the story of Elijah. And, uh, you know, one of the most thrilling things you and I can realize, and at the most, it's a, simultaneously, it's a, a thrilling thing, and it's an it's, it's incredibly humbling thing, but it's the most liberating thing, is to see that your life is one little, tiny, little cog in God's big wheel of history. It's incredibly humbling, because we like to think of ourselves as, you know, we're just unique, and there's no one quite like us, and, and that's, that is true. That is true. But we all have the same nature, and that's where we're all equal, isn't it? And so, yes, we are special in God's eyes. We are, absolutely. But we are just one little tiny part of this extraordinary story of the history of humanity that he's unfolding, and you and I have our part to play. It's humbling, but it's, it's amazing. And so, this is the final lesson that um, Elijah had to learn in the cave. That God was not tied to the past, and God was not tied to any expectation that we might have of Him. And we read, I want to read with you from verse 11 to 14 of 1 Kings 19. It says, And He said, Go and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, he was still learning. And our lives are full of learning, aren't they? He still had much to, to learn and much to do. But in this, this is the, the thing I'm just trying to bring through simply this morning. In, the, in this life of this imperfect, self-righteous, pouting, sulking man called Elijah, in his life, the most powerful thing was that he was a man of effective prayer. Powerful, effective prayer. And James is saying to you, and he's saying to me, what about you? What about me? You qualify I qualify. If God can use Elijah, He can use every single one of us. He was a weak man in many ways, but he was a man of prayer. Despite all of his weaknesses, he stayed in contact with God. He was humble. He, 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 he was open to the Lord, and he didn't give in to unbelief. How about you? Despite your weaknesses, despite how you might see yourself, despite circumstances that have hurt you, despite all those things. I ask these things of myself. What about you? Are you going to determine in your heart to be a person of effective, powerful prayer? Don't have to be extraordinary spiritual. Just an ordinary guy. Trusting God in an extraordinary way. And you see, if you read Elijah's story, this is what prayer did for him. By praying... He had all of his needs met. (laughs) 1 Kings 17, verse 2 to 16. Go and read it. He had all of his needs met. He experienced the miracles of God. 1 Kings 17. How many of you want to experience the miracles of God? They're only going to come as you and I pray. Powerful, effective prayer. He defeated the enemies of the church. 1 Kings 18. 
the prophets of Baal. He defeated the enemies of the church. Isn't that an amazing thought that you and I, through prayer, can defeat every spiritual power and enemy that would rise up against God's church? What an extraordinary privilege that we can pray and see powers and principalities come down. God kept him safe even amongst his enemies. How many of you feel like there are people that are enemies? I don't wish for enemies, but the reality is I have some. <laughs> but God, God says, in the midst of your enemies, I will make a table for you. Isn't that beautiful? Elijah experienced that. And lastly, his ministry through his life kept Israel holding on to what was true, even when the nation was in a time of incredible backsliddenness. His ministry kept a plumb line for others to hold on to. And I want to encourage you that our lives can count like that in the midst of a backslidden generation, a backslidden nation. Someone was telling us this week that they were just celebrating the, the fact that, well, can I share the story? Where is it? Jill, can I share the story? You don't mind. It struck me. She was just celebrating at work about the fact that she was um, getting married and that they were going to, looking forward to the house that they'd found. And so as one of her colleagues said, well, are you saying, implying that we're living in sin? Don't you find that an interesting reaction? We are salt. We are light to a crooked generation. Even sometimes when you're not trying to be, um, what's the word? You're not trying to look for a fight. You're not trying to be confrontational. The very fact that you're a Christian and the very fact that you live a certain way offends other people. <laughs> I found that amazing. It, it, it brought me to, to uh, 2 Corinthians, where, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, where Paul, I was thinking of this. Paul says this, We are the fragrance of Christ to those that are being saved. And at the same time, we are the stench of death to those that are perishing. I want to encourage you to be strong. I want to encourage you to be salt. I want to encourage you to let your light shine, regardless of how other people react to you. You hear what I'm saying? If you choose to live and not live with someone before you get married, I say kudos to you. I say great. I say go for it. I say let your light shine. And if it offends everyone else, so be it. You are light. You are salt. You stand. You stand for righteousness. You stand for truth. With a smile on your face. Not condemnation in your heart. Yeah? Uh, someone said this to me when I was in Denmark. And I thought it was profound. He said this. There are so many things that you and I can dig trenches for, can raise flags about, and get all defensive about. He said, in the end, all we need to do is keep our own sword sharp, our own heart pure, and love Jesus with all of our hearts. That's all we need to do. And if that causes other people to, to um, be upset with us, so be it. Let your light shine. Amen? I'm not talking about condemning others. I'm talking about letting your light shine. So, how does God want to use you? <laughs> how does God want to use me? Will you allow God to use you as a person of prayer? powerful, effective prayer. Certainly, maybe an imperfect person, maybe a depressive person, maybe a little bit self-righteous. I'm not saying stay like that. I'm not encouraging you into that. Let the Holy Spirit change you, absolutely. 
absolutely. But let God use you even as you are now. There's a dying world. There's many that need to know him. Will you rise to this challenge and become a person of powerful and effective prayer?